Before we start our show today, a word from our sponsors, Plesk. Plesk is more than just a control panel, granting you full flexibility to customize, manage, secure, host, automate, and control your web projects, as well as any underlying infrastructure. Plesk simplifies the lives of web professionals and gives you star features like one-click staging, cloning, syncing, plus automated mass management of multiple WordPress instances on your server and more. Have it your way. Find out more on plesk.com. If you create and sell WordPress plugins or themes, you know that only coding features isn't enough. You're going to have to handle taxes, issue invoices, securely accept payments, handle licensing, manage subscriptions, and let's not forget about automatic software updates, and the list goes on. Freemius handles all of those aspects in your business for you. And we've also had Volva, the CEO, on episode 97 of the podcast, if you want to take a listen. They have implemented and optimized all of the best practices practices, especially for selling WordPress plugins and themes. For example, your free users can upgrade to a paid plan right from inside their WP admin dashboard. When you sign up to sell products through Freemius, they treat you like a true partner because they will only earn money when you earn money, which automatically serves as an incentive for them to help increase your sales. I highly recommend you to head over to freemuse.com mastermind and get a full month of faith waiver when you start selling your WordPress products through Freemius. Hey everyone, welcome to Mastermind FM. This is Mark Zara from WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator. This week I have with me Matt Medeiros. I've been following Matt's work and his videos and podcasts for quite a few years, so it was an honor for me to get the chance to actually speak with him. And today we're going to be going through a discussion on how to manage multiple projects at the same time, multiple projects at different phases, and we'll see what Matt has to say about his experience. So here it goes. To get started, Matt, can you give us a bit of a backdrop as to what you currently do within the WordPress space? Sure thing. I do a lot at Pagely.com where I sell managed WordPress hosting for big brands. Uh, and I continue to do a podcast about WordPress over at MattReport.com. And for some odd reason, I continue to spout my mind over at my YouTube channel, uh, <laughs> YouTube.com slash The Matt Report. But I've been uh, sort of labeling myself as over the last few years as a, a critic of WordPress. Some people take that the wrong way, but it's really just, you know, trying to give some of my own feedback, my own uh, optics around WordPress to my uh, small audience, and hopefully it helps somebody. Constructive criticism. Yes. I think that's needed in the WordPress space anyway, so I'm glad to see someone doing it. What about your previous experiences in WordPress? What led you to becoming an account executive in Pagely and doing YouTube videos and podcasts? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been that entrepreneurship mindset type of person, been running businesses uh, all my life, started Dropbox before Dropbox, sold cars when I was like 14 years old, started an agency about a decade ago with my father and the agency uh, obviously still exists today. It's still running created WordPress plugins, used to sell Drupal themes. I've always been in the digital space. And uh, coming to Pagely was one of, well, it, it's one of these things that it sort of just happened. Great company, great opportunity at a time where, you know, to be quite blunt, the agency space was becoming too much of a challenge to run that from day to day from my perspective. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where, hey, getting to Pagely was a, an opportunity to explore something something new in my entrepreneurship journey. 
And uh, it's been great ever since, almost almost two years at this point, which is crazy how fast time flies. But yeah, I've been in, in WordPress for, well, proper, I've been in WordPress for about a decade, but I was even in it before that, a couple of years before that, when I was at a, another technology company. This is one of the reasons why I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I've, like I told you earlier, I've been following your work for a while, um, and I've noticed that you've done quite a lot. And basically, it's one area where I've probably struggled in my development right now in terms of managing different types of projects, managing different projects at the same time, and being able to prioritize between those projects. So what I'd like to discuss today is basically what you've learned from your experiences and different jobs from being car salesman to agencies, working with Pagely, what you've learned on how to manage multiple projects, sorry, what kind of an approach should take to managing different projects, depending on what state they're at, whether they're mature products, whether they're brand new products uh, going through a brand new launch. Yeah, there's probably three areas where I would say that have been for the last, well, 25 years, 20 to 25 years of me uh, just sort of being in a business setting that have really carried over throughout multiple decades now at this point is number one is finding confidence in what you're doing. So there's nothing worse than starting something that you don't feel fully confident about. And people who might be just starting something right now, a product or a service, they might be thinking, well, that's that's foolish. Of course, I feel confident in this. Like This is why I'm doing it. But that's all fine and dandy in the beginning because you're sitting there convincing yourself that this new idea, this new service is amazing. Of course, it's great. Of course, people will want to buy this. And then you kind of put it together, you get it out into the world, and then no one's buying it. <laughs> no one's signing up. And you're sitting there going, well, geez, I thought I had the best solution since sliced bread. Why isn't anybody latching onto this? And you quickly become the worker bee in your business. And you're doing things like marketing and promotions. And you're like, well, maybe I should adjust the product or service a little bit, and maybe this will help it sell. And before you know it, you're experiencing the burnout of running a business and the excitement of creativity, which we all go through as entrepreneurs when we're crafting this new thing, slowly fades away or quickly fades away depending on your position. And you just hate what you're doing. You're not confident about it anymore. It's just not something that you want to get up in the day and start to embark on. So when I say confidence, it's about understanding that you're drawing lines to say, here's my product and my service. I stand behind this thing and I'm going to give it the legs to run on for six months, a year, whatever that might be. My lifetime, you know, it's waking up and saying, I'm confident with this stuff. I'm not going to let the market drag me down or poor feedback drag me down. And at the same, on the flip side of that, if I'm experiencing a home run and people are purchasing from me, I have to understand that, look, I can't just forget where I came from kind of thing. Right, if that makes sense. It's this whole air of confidence and it helps you sell, it helps you with support, it helps you in all aspects. Confidence would be the number one thing I would say that I have learned throughout these last 20, 25 years of, of doing business, uh, both online and in face-to-face. -face. You know, second to that would be, look, I'm not going to sit back and let criticism or fear change the product path. So I think a lot of us get out there and we look at what other people are doing and maybe criticism is a bad word. Maybe it's envy. You know, I'm not going to let the perceived success of somebody else sort of take away from where I'm at today. And it's definitely something that we all, that I know I struggle with. I know a lot of other people struggle with when we see other people doing so much better than us. 
it can so- sort of start to take away from uh, the value that we provide. And I've sort of learned over time to either block it out because sometimes it can really get the best of you, right? When you're like, well, I've got the same type of product, except it's better. <laughs> Why aren't they buying from me? You know, being able to to navigate those waters is definitely something that takes time to learn, but something that you will uh, certainly sharpen over time. And number three, not to be afraid of who you are, right? I, and a lot of this is like pieces of confidence. It's really about being able to tell your story and be different than somebody else. Because I think this all sort of compounds together is where we see people that are successful, we get envious and we say, well, we'll just be just like them. You know, let's just, let's tweet like them. Let's blog like them. Let's talk like them. People are going to latch on to who you are and what you do. And that's very important that you, you use your uniqueness, your identity to your advantage. Three very good points. Something you mentioned early on there is sort of the idea of convincing yourself rather than being absolutely confident in something that's going to work. I think like having gone through the early stages of a new product with the bookings, having gone through taking over a mature product and WPR as a segregator, you tend to convince yourself of certain things early on before you, under- you really understand what's going on. And even though you hear people like yourself talking about this and you read about it, I think everyone still needs to make that mistake to really learn from it. Yeah. There are no there are no rules. I mean, there are rules, I guess. <laughs> there are, you know, humane rules and probably some taxation and legal rules that we all have to follow. <laughs> but there are no rules to building a business, let's say, right? And that's why like services is something that I see a lot of people try to get away from, you know, just like myself coming up in the service business. And we're like, oh my God, early on, we're like, we don't want to deal with clients anymore. Let's build products. Well, guess what? When you build a successful product, you're dealing with customers a hundred times versus an agency. It just comes at you at different angles and in purely email or or text chat. But the point is, is there there are no rules to this. You can build a business the way that you want to satisfy the way you you want. You just have to find the customers that are going to fit that mold. I see so many people get away from the services side through product. And I'm like, well, you can make a lot of money in services. You know, it's just finding that that right fit. But I, what I love about it is it's just a game. To me, it's just a game. And the ups and downs are going to happen. And the best thing you can do is remind yourself of that. So the whole confidence, competition, the envy of seeing other people's successes, the way to handle that or the way that I've handled it is to know that it's going to come. Like you're going to lose a big customer. You're going to have a faulty product launch. Uh, Somebody else is going to come into the space and compete against you at a lower price. You just have to know what's going to happen and remind yourself that when things are going good, don't forget where you came from. And when things are going bad, it's going to get better, but it's going to get worse again. (laughs) You just have to keep yourself level-minded to know things can change. Let's stay the course. Let's have a mission and let's keep pushing forward. And yeah, I was actually going to ask you what exactly is at the end there of staying on course with what you already have planned. So let's take the perspective of someone who has a mature product, a company that comes in cheaper, possibly better, possibly not. Mm-hmm. But as we know, the fact that they're cheaper is going to make a difference and people are going to go for that option over yours. So even if you plan for that sort of know that's coming, do you plan to an extent that you're thinking of how you can beat those guys or how you're going to knock them down in some way, or you just keep doing what you're doing, do your own thing, ignore what they do, and just keep moving on. Yeah. So somewhere buried in there is like, how, you know, when do you kill a product, right? When do you stop investing in a product? And how do you handle competition? So uh, I have a plugin that remains uh, to be purchased 
remains to be maintained by Slocum. Uh, and we have a pretty strong customer base. It's a very small customer base. And it was something that was launched about four years ago. It's called Conductor. And it was Gutenberg before Gutenberg, right? There's a lot of these examples across the WordPress space and in many industries. But it's a block concept for displaying content. We were just sort of stuck in the middle between Customizer was just rolling out. Widgets was the only thing we worked with. And what we did is we flew the flag of what, and I'm, I'm using air quotes for people who are just listening, what WordPress <laughs> wanted us to do. So it was the WordPress way. We weren't creating this new experience. We weren't layering things on top of WordPress. We said, hey, let's use what WordPress is giving us, which was the customizer and widgets, and let's build this block drag and drop concept, right? Super lightweight, super clean. And we had a customer base that was using it for our services business. And we we're like, hey, they use it. Maybe other people want to buy this too. We, I mean, we went down that same path as everybody else. And then page builders came in and just steamrolled the whole industry. And we were too early to the game. Like this concept was too early to the game. And what page builders did was number one, it pissed off a lot of people because people, people are like, why would you <laughs> want to use this thing? But it also uncovered that there are people who want to have this design development experience for common folk, right? They wanted to have the visual builder. And uh, so that opened up opportunity. And what that meant for Conductor was, well, it open up the market to at least have a product that we can compare ourselves to or be an alternative to. So there's a headphone company here. So here's a real world example. There's a headphone manufacturer in New York and they are, they've been in business for, I think, literally a hundred years. Uh, they're called Grado, G-R-A-D-O, family owned headphone company, build amazing headphones. And they've been in business again for generations of their family up against people like Apple with Beats and Samsung and Sony headphones who are signing celebrities and all of this stuff. And everyone's paying attention to Beats by Dre and all this stuff. But this company handcrafts manufacturers headphones and they don't veer off the course. They don't say, oh, look, uh, Beats by Dre signed, I don't know, LeBron James. Let's go and do the same thing. No, they say, we're going to stick to building this product the way we want to build it because we're satisfying a small amount of customers. And that small amount of customers is keeping us in business. And that's the way that I perceive Conductor is, it's an alternative solution. It's not a grand slam. It's not an Elementor or a Beaver Builder. It's never going to find that success, but it's a manageable product internally for the company. Customers love it. They use it. The ones that don't love it, they get a refund. <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> you know. So all of this is to say is people can build products that don't always necessarily have to be that grand slam. It can be the stepping stone to something else. It can be a great core business. It could be another revenue stream. Hitting something that works doesn't always necessarily mean millions and millions of dollars. I found a slide deck from a presentation I did at PrestigeConf about five years ago, I think, four or five years ago. And it, I had a screenshot of the Avada theme, famously known uh, as the top selling theme on ThemeForest. And at that time, they were like 89,000 sales. And then I checked <laughs> yesterday and there were 490,000 sales over the course <laughs> of whatever it's been, four, four and a half years since I, I did that talk. It doesn't always have to be that way. And I think a lot of us drown ourselves in that kind of desire to just sell lots and make lots of money. I just don't think it necessarily has to happen. I've got this whole other thread of thought of the blue collar digital worker where you make a great living from your house selling digital products. You don't need to be the Syed Balki of the world, right? <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. have to be the man that has 17 brands under him doing millions of dollars. You can, 
but you don't necessarily always have to be. And you don't always want to be either. Right. As that brings along challenges of building a team, of basically building everything around it because you need support team, you need development team, you need sales, you need marketing. It's an entire beast in itself. Yeah, people forget how challenging, and I'm sure you face it with probably a support staff and a development staff that help you with the sites and, and the plugins and stuff like that. And that's like a whole other challenge that so many people who are just excited to build product and see it sell, they have no idea what it's like to manage people and set that expectation. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, when I took over that role of managing the entire team, that's a completely different perspective to things. Right. Because you're not just thinking about well, like, how can I make this plugin better? How can I make the service better? You're thinking of how can I make it better? But the team has to be happy. Support has to be able to cope. We need to see whether we want to scale or not. If we make certain changes to the product and this causes this kind of flow of new customers and new sales, do we have the resources to manage that? It's all things you want to keep in mind. Yeah. So it all depends as well on like conductor, for instance. Do you want that to be something that sustains you or something that makes you a millionaire? Sure. You have to decide what you want to do with either of them. I think something you brought up, which is good to, to focus on as well, is if we just take ourselves as an example, our aggregator plugin has been around for years. It's established. It's a good source of revenue for us. And then last year, we went into EDD bookings, which is still a brand new project. It's still small. It's still very early stages. It didn't necessarily give us the results we expected from it, but probably that's because I had a biased outlook from aggregator of seeing how successful that is and thinking that's going to happen instantly. So when you're not part of the initial stages, aggregator was built by Jean Galea seven, eight years ago. He saw it grow slowly back then. And at one point took off with add-ons and so on. So it's good to keep in mind that if something doesn't take off in the first few months, doesn't mean that it won't. You should still continue tweaking and doing certain changes and getting feedback, user feedback being the key point there, and eventually seeing where that takes you. And then obviously figuring out the balance of how far should you go or how long should you go to remain sustainable. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of the sort of the question you asked before is like, what happens when a competitor comes into the space? I think that a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs get the the whole like shiny object syndrome where we're like, well, no, we're building is just way better than anybody else. And hey, let me show you the 17 ways that we do it better. Uh, or look at these 17 secret sauce things that we do in our product. But sometimes that can just overwhelm the customer. Like we we forget that there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of competition out there. And sometimes it's like table stakes, like where you have to say, one of the big fights that that we're putting up less of a fight now on Conductor is we're not a page builder. But let me tell you something. When page builders were hot, people were buying our product. Like we saw an increase in sales for page builders, uh, for our, our plugin because of page builders. And people are like, why isn't this a page builder? No, no, no. Like <laughs> this is not a page builder. This is a query and display block. You query the, the content, you display it in a, in a widget at the time. And now Gutenberg block and a widget or a shortcode. But the point is that sometimes you just have to listen to customers and say, okay, here's the features we do have. I see what the competition is doing. We will do two out of those three features, but let me talk about these other values. In other words, don't make it so complicated that you're just confusing your customer because yeah, you'll, you'll probably lose out on a whole segment of people if you're at least not some kind of clean alternative to what's out there. And what I always remind entrepreneurs of is you know, telling your story as soon as possible. Right, building that audience as soon as possible so that when you launch a new version of whatever it is that you might have, that you have at least two people on an email list <laughs> that you can email <laughs> and be like, we're ready for business. 
we're open now. Come check this out. Um, because there's nothing worse to go out into, you know, in the basement and build this new product and then come onto Twitter and be like, hey, I got this thing and nobody knows who you are, why you've been doing it, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So when it's a brand new product, something you're about to launch, possibly already just launched, what do you consider as the main areas you should focus on aside from building an audience? You should focus on to make sure that you get off the ground quicker. Uh, direct sales, selling it. I think I love content. I love content marketing, but this is something that's much more long-term You know, content marketing. Uh, and direct sales can come in many ways. It could come in you literally at, depending on what your product is, you could be literally emailing direct customers, you know, depending on what your price point is, do you, do you want to spend time doing that? Is it a $40 product? Then maybe not. But if it's a couple hundred dollar product, maybe uh, very important for your first few customers that, that you actually have those conversations. So you can kind of learn how to sell and how to position the product because that's going to influence your content marketing and your marketing on your website. So I would say direct sales, number one, like, can you, can you find a dozen customers? on your own, searching around through forums and Facebook groups and Twitter threads and blog posts, uh, word camps or other events that you could say, hey, let me demo this product for you for 10, 15 minutes, and then ask the person if they're interested in buying. Get the immediate sale because that's going to help shape a lot. And then from there, you can build off of doing some kind of promotional piece. Again, I think a lot of people turn to building a, a product, putting it up on a website, and they say, well, I'll start my content marketing now. And then they write you know, 17 top restaurant themes for WordPress, and they begin like this whole like diatribe of WordPress generalized content. I think you just need to go promotional and connect with other podcasters. I mean, obviously, you have an edge in this because you have your podcast and, and you have media outlets. Partner up with people outside of the WordPress space, other marketers or salespeople, people that are around your product that you can promote a live webinar, uh, do a promotion. Again, if I go back to how we launched Conductor, and this is, like I said, four, <clears throat> maybe four years ago at this point, I put together a small little council of people that helped me sort of shape the product. But then the day it launched, I at the time, I did a partner episode with Carrie Dills on, on her podcast. And... Um, you know, I did like a promotional, you know, 20% discount at that time. And on that live show, I sold $5,000 worth of licenses for Conductor. It's day one. Man, I was like picking out the color of the Porsche I was going to buy. Right? <laughs> I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this, is, this is how you do it. And then from that day and then 45 days out, I made 800 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, let me pull back the lease on the Porsche because this isn't happening the way I thought it was going to happen. It has to be this continued effort until you can get to a, a more sustainable you know, sales market fit where the, the sales are coming in and marketing is working, that kind of thing. So day one, start with promotion and start with direct sales is what I would say. And obviously conferences and just reaching out to people being the key methods of doing that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other problem I see with WordPress products is if you don't have that audience and you are coming up with something super unique and it's at a $50 price point, I mean, what are your expectations? As an entrepreneur, as somebody who's owning this business, as somebody who's selling this, what are your expectations? I mean, do the back of the napkin math. How much is it going to take for you to sell this stuff to make a living? Uh, and if it's a super unique product, you're up against a lot of challenges right there. So, you know, some WordPress product owners would do well to, of course, increase their prices. Or like I said before, there are no rules. Maybe have some services around that. So you might have a $100 product, but could you do like a $1,000 install, right? At least in the early days to help you with revenue uh, and help you with positioning. Because there is value in, in having the expert who built this 
particular piece of software, install it on our site. It's a very important site. It's an e-commerce site. It's a corporate site. We want to ensure that this gets configured properly. Oh, we can help you with that. It's $2,000 with our service and setup fee. Beautiful. Let's do it. And that would allow you to spend some time on the phone you know, with somebody. And again, this goes back to competition. Build another form plugin, right? If you want to just win on, if you just want to win on SEO and content marketing and awesome marketing and promotion, build another form plugin, build another page builder. Maybe not that, but build a form plugin, right? Because that's a market that people are actively searching for. Sometimes we just get all lost in the, in the awesome creativity of building something and we convince ourselves and the market's just not there yet, or the price point is too low for you to spend a lot of direct sales time on. Yeah, that uh, idea of having like an onboarding service of some sort, a setup service of some sort, I think that's a good, something I haven't really thought of, to be honest. Considered it in the past for aggregator, but given the position we were in, we didn't have the resources for it. But looking at something like forms or e-commerce, especially with WooCommerce, CDD, whatever it might be, that's, I think, the service that can really sell. At the same time, like I said, it's getting user feedback. Because while you're showing them how to set it up and setting it up for them, there will be a Skype call or something in between where you're speaking directly to the user. Right. And that's going to bring along testimonials, going to bring along recommendations and so on. And again, if you go into content marketing or for the long-term plan, having real-life testimonials, real sites you can refer to, real stats of how your product helps them grow in revenue or grow in sites or whatever, all that's going to make a difference at the end of the day. Yeah, your early customers are the building blocks for a lot of areas of the business, not only financially, but again, the marketing, the content, social proof, testimonials, case studies, like that stuff is so important in the beginning for you to leverage because where else is that going to come from? You're not going to just hire a ghost blog writer <laughs> to, to talk about this stuff and sales are magically going to come in unless you had money to spend on direct sales or excuse me, um, uh, pay-per-click ads. Well, sure. Go nuts. <laughs> Google AdWords and, and Facebook and, ads. <laughs> yeah, and you're still not guaranteed a return from those. I mean, right. I, sp I spoke to enough people who've tried them and we've tried them ourselves. Most cases, it was break even or slight loss or slight gain, but nothing. You're not going to build a business around that if you have a niche product for sure. All right. With regards to partnering up with blogs, with podcasters, with well known people like yourself, like Syed, whoever it might be. What would you recommend as an approach to take for those who are not necessarily in touch with these kind of people? So again, I go back to saying that you have to start telling your story on whatever medium that you feel most comfortable with. So if that's a blog, if that's just Twitter, if it's Instagram stories, if it's a YouTube channel, if it's a podcast, you have to settle on one. And a lot of people are saying like, okay, yeah, I really don't know if that'll work. Trust me, it works. As an example, you know, I do a lot in my local community for businesses. Obviously, you used to run the agency day to day in my local community, but I have a local podcast where I talk to entrepreneurs in my area. I launched episode number one. Let me take a step back. Nobody knows about my WordPress podcast locally. I mean, the other agencies and like developers in my area and the people that come to the meetup know about it because they're WordPress people. But like, I'm not walking into a restaurant and people are like, oh my God, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Matt from the Marriport. Like, oh, let's, let's get him the best table in the house. It doesn't happen. That said, I launched a local podcast and episode one I put out and I was at a coffee shop and somebody came, just super random person came out and like, are you that guy that does that podcast? And I'm like thinking to myself, yeah, the Matt Report. And they were, <clears throat> they were like, no, <clears throat> uh, we are here, southcoast.fm. I was like, yeah, that's me. And it was like two days after putting it out. And they were like, oh, I really love that episode. I can't like wait to hear more. And I was just like, I can't even believe it. 
And then like the second episode I put out, people at my local co-working space were like, oh yeah, Matt, if you want to learn how to do a podcast, Matt knows all about it. Matt's the podcast guy. Two episodes, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, like I'm getting recognized. Yeah. And I'm the podcast guy locally. And I was just like, this is how it works. It, people f- get this fear of telling a story. Number one, they're uncomfortable doing it. Number two, they're like, nobody's listening. It doesn't matter. It shows that you have accomplished something and that you are, again, confident in putting out a message. So if you need to cold email somebody, let's say like a Syed, and you have a dozen videos on your YouTube channel, or you have a dozen podcast episodes, or you have a blog where your opinion is clearly positioned, that's something that you can lean on. And that's something if you cold email somebody, you can be like, hey, look, I'd love to connect. I've been doing this thing on YouTube. You can check it out. I got 12 episodes there. I think we can really work well together. And making that personal connection would be that much better uh, with that kind of cachet that you have at your disposal. So I would say create that content, create that audience, create that story around yourself. Even if it's two people listening, like the Matt Report, (laughs) uh, it still helps. I think the advantage we have nowadays is that it's much easier than it used to be. You have the resources you need. You can do it from home. Literally, you don't need to get out of your house and you can build up something like that. Right. It's actually great to see, first of all, people like you with YouTube. Recently, I noticed Chris Badgett of Lifter LMS so is also doing something similar, um, mm-hmm. posting videos on YouTube and the topics vary so much, mm-hmm. but at least you get to know the person. Right. So like take Lifter LMS, I knew a little about it, but not that much. And just because of his videos and finding one or two that sort of resonate with me, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I have Lifter LMS, the name in my head. And at the same time, I'm thinking about how I might be able to use it, how I might be able to promote it. It's going to help in some way or another. Our story, our what I call our digital handshake, is the only thing that we have left as small digital business owners on the web. As bigger software companies start to acquire smaller software companies or medium-sized companies acquire small WordPress companies, that all sort of starts to get lost in a bigger brand message. And perfect example is like Amazon versus a mom and pop convenience store or whatever. I mean, people are like, I'm not going to walk down the street. I'm going to have a drone drop it off to me. And they press a button and you know, a can of soda drops from the sky and they catch it and they got it for a nickel, right? Versus walking a half a mile and paying a dollar. But there's no human touch. There's no service. There's no friendly smile. There's nothing. It's just a better price at a faster time. Our story and our, like you said with Chris, that relationship is the last thing that we have left to leverage a sale, to have a customer say yes to us. And um, it's important that we protect that from all big brands or big businesses that are, are looking to uh, scoop up the small people. And uh, the best thing about it is it validates a customer. I think a lot of people have to feel like they have to sell to everybody and they either get down on themselves because they couldn't make that sale or they just get so, I don't know what the better word is, but greedy that they have to get the entire market. No, no, no. If you're telling your story and you're serving a particular customer, you don't need everybody. You don't need to win everyone. You need to find the customers that resonate the best with you because that's how you'll increase your long-term value with a customer. And it's how you will keep your support costs lower <laughs> because they won't have this crazy expectation of you. Like they know you, they trust you, they like you. So they're not going to go crazy at you when they open up a support ticket and WordPress isn't working the right way, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think something we've seen even internally is that if you market yourself as a big company, expectations rise. If you market yourself as a small team, an individual, family, husband and wife, whatever it might be, there's different types of expectations. So if you're a big company and support takes 24 hours to reply, you're doing something wrong. Right. And they're going to complain about it. 
But if you're marketing yourself as an individual who's doing this as a side project and trying to improve WordPress and this whatever area, then it's different. Then totally exp- you can be more human and support, have that more personal touch. And most people, let's put it that way, won't mind having to wait a little longer for support. That's correct. All right. When it comes to, let's take smaller projects starting out, mm-hmm. at what point would you sort of decide whether it makes more sense to focus on development and adding features or going into the marketing side of it, cold calling people and so on? How do you find the balance between the two so that neither of them fall back? That's a skill onto itself. I can't say that I'm an expert at it. I can tell you about all my failures though. (laughs) Um, So I'm a non-technical co-founder. I think a lot of people in the WordPress space are developers first and foremost, uh, marketers and salesmen second. But it's very important that you can, if you're a non-technical person like I am, that's the only optics that I can give you, is that number one, you get somebody that you can really trust as a developer. Somebody that will tell you no to crazy requests you might have. And I do have that with with Scott, uh, who's been working for the studio now for uh, almost eight years. Um, And he's sort of my, what we call the, the cardboard Batman. Uh, in in the <laughs> studio. Um, so let's talk about one product that uh, I launched and then I just let sort of die. So we built a, a plugin called Julep, like the drink, J-U-L-E-P. And what that was, was a plugin that allowed you to, I guess it was like a Canva, folks are familiar with that, Canva, or like a an image editor inside of WordPress. So you could quickly sketch on an image like a drawing, like a paint, and then just put the image right in the uh, in the WordPress editor. We made a quick mock-up of that, a quick beta plugin of that. And um, I had a lot of expectations in the beginning. <laughs> like I, I was like, this is going to be easy, right? Like I found a couple open source libraries on GitHub and I was like, oh, we can just, we can type words on top of an image. It'll save it. And then Scott was like, yeah, but okay, it looks great over here in this JavaScript-driven example on GitHub. But when I get this into WordPress, it's a whole different ballgame. And we put it together, we demoed it a little bit. And at that point, I leveraged the audience that I had and I kind of threw it out there and I was like, hey, who's interested in this? We got a couple people to sign up, but it certainly wasn't impressive. And I looked at like the alternatives that were out there, the canvas, the photoshops. I sort of did a sort of a Trello board of like, how am I really going to position this? And compare that to how much development time is going to get to have something that's really deliverable to people. And uh, we axed that one probably in a couple months. We have another product that happened the same way where it was like, man, I would love to embed videos in the admin dashboard of WordPress. Because as we're servicing clients, instead of taking the same phone call over and over again, how do we do this? How do we do that? How do we do this in this custom plugin you built us? Instead of sending them to YouTube, can we just put it right in their admin dashboard? So we created a plugin called Easy Support Videos. We put it onto WordPress.org and um, we have a pro version, which allows you to do a couple extra features. And that thing from a development to profit margin ratio is like (laughs) 20,000% compared to uh, what Conductor uh, has provided us. And um, it's one of those things that you have to be able to test as fast as possible and be willing to kill it. That's the only secret, the secret sauce that I have. A lot of people just keep holding on to an idea. You have to be willing to let it go as a founder, as a creator. Uh, and that's what we did with Julep. Killed it. I realized like I really loved it. It's something that I would use day to day, but I saw the development side of it. And I was like, there's no way we're going to be able to accomplish this in an efficient manner. Did the same thing with easy support videos, launched it. 
It sells, still sells, makes a little bit of money, but relative to what we have to do to it, works like a charm. Conductor's been the only one that I've sort of held on to and has always been a tough one, <laughs> but it, it makes us a significant more amount of money than easy support videos. I don't know if I really answered that question, but that's sort of the mindset of how I've gone through it. I, I have to try it. I have to get it out there and then let it sit and see uh, what happens. If I can get a version one out, that's a success. And then it's sort of up to me to see if I can position it. If I can't position it or I feel like it's going to be way too much, then it has to be axed. And that's the key. I think early on, especially for people like I'm in the same position as you, so I'm not the technical guy. That's probably the hardest part to decide whether to ax something or not. Mm -hmm. And if you're early on, it's even harder. First of all, because you feel like you're a failure early on. Mm -hmm. uh, you haven't necessarily had the big success to sort of say, all right, it can, this can happen. There can be both situations, like we said earlier, it can do, go really well or just go really bad. So that's definitely one of the hardest parts. I think what you said there, which really resonated with me, and I think everyone should really take into consideration, is that if you're not a technical person, you need someone you trust to be that technical person. Yeah. And it needs to be someone you fully trust. Like right now we have uh, Miguel, who's our CTO, who we can have discussions about future plans for existing plugins or new plugin ideas and so on. and I'll have some fancy idea in my head. So like the idea I had with Canva and doing something similar for WordPress, it sounds amazing. But then once you speak to a developer and they put it into their perspective, completely different story. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a healthy debate is what it should turn into because developers will look at everything. They'll look at all angles and they'll look at all scenarios, all edge cases, which is rightfully so, but it's that fine balance. You know, like when we're selling 10, 15, $20,000 websites, Customers aren't looking at the code. They just want us to make sure that they're, that they're getting what, they're, what they want and we're there to yeah. support them. Developers will be like, well, I didn't tab space this one. I'm like, dude, I don't <laughs> care what you did. <laughs> okay. Does it work? <laughs> yes. Is the customer complaining? No. Okay. We win. And then we we're move done. on. You know, then there are, yeah, yes, we can get more efficient on the next round. And if there's some efficiency there that we can improve, we let them know about it. Uh, it's not about being dishonest. It's about just being practical. Uh, at those yeah. points. And um, yeah, so I think it should be a healthy debate and uh, there should be some kind of meeting in the middle and being honest and open with each other is, is key to that. And that's a fine balance. It is a fine balance. Hit. Yeah, it is. It's not easy. All right. We're nearing the end of the episode. Um, before we close it off, are there any tips you have for people who are just getting into WordPress space uh, for how they should approach getting started or what they should focus on first, sort of rounding up what we've thought about so far? Uh, this is not our playground, people. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you've had many episodes sort of highlighting that, that this is not our controlled space. And as much as I love open source, uh, can I swear on the show? I won't say it. So I won't say it. So I have a, I have a, a post called F Platforms Give Me WordPress. And I think that WordPress is critical to... I mean, I'll go way out. I think WordPress is critical to humanity and freedom. I mean, the control of platforms is just insane. And, and I think the freedoms that WordPress allows us to do, not only to create businesses, but to create content and freedom of speech and all that fun stuff, very critical that WordPress survives in an open source manner. That being said, the commercial side of WordPress, plugins, services, themes, hosting, becoming even more challenging uh, day by day. And I think a lot of us, because WordPress is so approachable, we get emotionally attached to it. And that's something that I would caution people early on, 
right? Uh, it's great, a great community. You can meet a lot of awesome people. You can get a lot of information out of, out of being connected to the community, but always be willing to, you know, go beyond our little WordPress bubble. I don't care if that's like products or services. You have to look at the bigger picture. Uh, again, I don't think here we are like early 2019. I haven't heard a lot of people sort of like looking at the theme business anymore and being like, wow, I can put out a $50 theme and sell 30,000 of them. Same thing with plugins. I haven't heard that anymore from the conversations that I've had with folks. So that's either a good or bad sign. (laughs) But you know, I think people can do well if they went more premium uh, with their products and services and not fully attached to the WordPress ecosystem. More of SaaS solutions then. Yeah, you can go more SaaS. There are, I like what some of the things I'm seeing with the Gatsby JS. I think that's just what it's called, Gatsby JS or just Gatsby project, just sort of like a static generator for WordPress. I like some of the themes I see sort of starting to corral around that integrations into WordPress, that kind of thing. What I don't, what I'm fearful of is, you know, the rush to Gutenberg blocks. And while you have to ride the coattails of a lot of this, a lot of the headlining around Gutenberg and the attention around Gutenberg, you know, it's like page builders three years ago where, you, you know, you jumped into this and, and you made a big splash. I think a lot of people are doing that now with Gutenberg blocks. I just take a step back and ask myself, well, this is just like installing more plugins all over again. You know, I, somebody launches a website six months from now, they're going to have 30,000 blocks installed into their site. And then what? I saw... This is just an aside as I kind of rant here is I I saw Jetpack announce their new GIF or GIF block, however you want to pronounce it. And I looked at their documentation page and below the last item on the documentation page was a uh, privacy and data disclosure, which talked about what data was being passed to the Giphy service when you actually search for a GIF to embed in your post. And like my brain cells just like exploded because now it's like, wow, People are going to put, third-party developers are going to put so much overhead into just what we conceive to be this tiny little block. There's going to be so much cruft there that it's going to be spewing out all these amounts of data you know, around our website and technical overhead too, like loading other services, loading JS, whatever it might be doing. And the uninformed user is just going to be like, oh, I got another block. Give it to me, 99 cents, <laughs> you know? And... um I'm kind of worried of what that all leads Gutenberg into. So I don't know. There's a lot there. I can go on, I could go <laughs> on forever about like how to prepare yourself mentally for WordPress, but that's that's just a few right there. Yeah, I'll link to uh, before we started the episode. Um, I mentioned an episode you have on match report to Krista Trevinos. I'll link to that because even the ending to, to that uh, episode goes ties in with this a bit and how you have to also watch out for sort of acquisitions and larger plugins taking over your niche or your market or whatever it may be, like Jetpack with forms you were discussing with, with Christy back there. Um, same thing with the acquisitions we're seeing, like WP Engine taking Studio Press. So there's a lot of this going on. Gutenberg Plus is another thing. There's so much of them. You don't know where what it's going to lead to. So it's still early stages. You can go ahead and develop the Gutenberg Blocks plugin, whatever you want to call it, and start selling. In a few months, you have no idea what's going to happen because that's still, again, early stages. No one really knows how Gutenberg is going to eventually develop. Right. So it's definitely worth taking a step back and thinking about things and speaking to a few people, listening to podcasts, reading articles, getting an overall perspective of how things actually are. I agree. All right. Matt, thank you very much for joining me. 
before we we end the episode, uh, where can people find you and follow what you're doing? Uh, Pagely.com for any kind of managed WordPress hosting and mattreport.com for the WordPress podcast. Excellent. I'll put everything in the show notes. Uh, thank you for listening. And thanks again, Matt, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.